Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talked to Dr. Michael Ramsey, CEO of the Patient Safety Movement Foundation, about lessons learned from the Redonda Vod case. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Dr. Michael Ramsey, CEO of the Patient Safety Movement Foundation. Welcome, doctor. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here. Glad to have you. And uh, before we get started, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and the uh, Patient Safety Movement Foundation. Sure. I, I'm a retired anesthesiologist, um, ran a big, busy anesthesia department in Dallas, Texas for the last 30 years, and um, came on as CEO of the Patient Safety Movement Foundation uh, January 1 this year. Um, this is my retirement job. It's a, a not-for-profit but very busy foundation uh, with a really tremendous safety goal, and that is to try and to get to zero preventable deaths in our hospitals um, by 2030. And uh, speaking of preventable deaths, we're going to talk about the Redonda Vought case and uh, sort of uh, everything that sort of uh, went into that. What was your reaction um, when you heard that she was, uh, you know, charged first, I guess, first off that she was even criminally charged uh, in uh, the patient uh, death uh, back in uh, Nashville from a few years ago? Well, I think the first thing is, it's a tragedy um, and in terms of a patient was lost. There was a preventable death in a major hospital in this country. And uh, the first question has got to be, why did it happen? And, um, you know, when, when you see somebody criminalized for it, um, obviously there must have been a lot of data that uh, jury heard or lawyers heard to, to bring it to that level. But, um, I think, first of all, you've got to find out why did it happen? Because people do make mistakes in hospitals, but did they follow the right protocol? Were there other factors involved? Was the process not right? Um, and then um, uh, can that be fixed to prevent another death? Because that's what we want to do is make sure another preventable death doesn't occur. And uh, in this particular case, there were multiple processes that just went wrong. It was rather like the holes in Swiss cheese. They just all lined up together and, and caused this because Redonda Vought, the nurse, had absolutely no intention of hurting a patient. That was not in her mind at all. Her, her mind was to take care of two patients at the same time. That was the directive given to her. And, and uh, the fact that it got to a criminal prosecution is really, really tragic because we want to learn from these mistakes that occur and stop them happening again. And when you criminalize something, now everybody's going to get frightened in the healthcare system about speaking up as Redonda did. She spoke up immediately. She knew a mistake had been made. Um, tragically, um, it was after the code occurred and the patient didn't survive. But um, uh, that's what we've got to stop. We've got to stop those things happening in our healthcare systems. And, um, you know, if there turned out to be some criminal um, activity associated with it, this was intentional, this was a direct uh, going against orders and training, then sure, then, then you have to criminalize it. But uh, I don't think that was the case here. I think the case here was the process was wrong and we want people to speak up like Redonda did in future when they have near misses or when they have a mistake occur and tell us immediately so we can prevent that same mistake happening in any other hospital in our country 
or around the globe. And um, there were multiple, multiple problems in this particular case. Yeah, and, and for any, I mean, I don't know how you couldn't know if you were following patient safety, but um, she was convicted of criminally negligent homicide and abuse of an impaired adult um, uh, as a result of that medication error. Um, found obviously found guilty, but then uh, with sentencing, she was uh, uh, given probation, so she at least uh, avoided jail time. But I guess my question is, how did this? You know, how does it come to, or how does a, a DA or whoever made the decision decide to, you know, file criminal charges in the case of uh, a medication error? Especially given, like, as you mentioned, there are, you know, errors happen all the time in hospitals. I mean, is, is this going to set a precedent that, you know, every error has to be kind of examined to, con to consider whether to file criminal charges? Well, I think, uh, I mean, it may do. Um, I, I sincerely hope that. First off, that all errors will become transparent, and that people will speak up, that uh, when one occurs, that there's a root cause analysis where there's a medical investigation into what happened. And then number two, go to who caused it. But number one, let's find out what happened first. Why did that error occur? Because somebody doing their job as a nurse doesn't intentionally go out to hurt somebody. She's there to help patients. And that was clearly the case here. Um, but there was one area where uh, she, um, Redonda didn't uh, follow protocol in which she should have stopped and monitored the patient she gave the drug to mm -hmm. because you monitor patients who've had sedation. But when you look back and you look at the directive she was given, one directive from a staff nurse who sent her on her mission, because her mission was not, number one, to sedate uh, uh, the poor patient who um, got hurt by this. It was to go to the emergency room to do a swallow study on a patient in the emergency room. It was, oh, by the way, as she was about to leave the ICU where she was working, uh, can you go to the PET scan lab and sedate somebody uh, who needs, who's anxious and needs a little sedation there? And so she was given two tasks at the same time. She should have only been given one. Mm -hmm. And he asked about monitoring. And the staff nurse told her, according to the court case, uh, that this patient does not need monitoring. Monitoring is not ordered. Well, that is a standard. If you sedate somebody, you do monitor them uh, for a procedure. But the order to not monitor was because she was moved from the ICU to a step-down unit where there wasn't continuous monitoring. And so Redonda got that directive, you don't need to monitor. And that was probably uh, the standard that uh, led to this being a criminal case because we do monitor patients having been, been sedated for procedures. Uh, but you know, she went to the PET scan lab, there were no monitoring there. Um, she would have had to go on and get one. And her, her directive was to go to the emergency room to see another patient. This was, oh, by the way, on your way there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, And then everything else went wrong in terms of the physician's order should have been in the dispensing machine before she got the drug out. Well, no physician actually, as far as I can tell, saw this patient. The directive or the request for sedation came from a technician working in the PET scan room. And so I don't think that order was in the dispensing machine.
but um, they've had a lot of problems in the past, according to the testimony, with their dispensing machines, and they um, use an override frequently. Well, an override should only be there for emergency drugs in an emergency situation. This was not an emergency. Um, but she took out the, she wanted the drug Versed, she typed in VE, and she got the drug Vecuronium. Right. That's a paralytic, not a sedative drug. Uh, she then took the drug and took it down to the PET scan room on her way to the emergency room. And there should have been a scanner there. Scan the patient's arm, wristband, and scan the drug. Right patient, right drug. That would have picked this up and stopped it immediately. But there's no scanner in that PET scan room. Unbelievable. So, again, multiple things going on that were incorrect. And uh, then uh, she gave the drug. And uh, when she was asked in court, well, did you ask the patient who she was and um, how did she respond? Well, she said, well, the patient was really out of it. So we've got a sedation ordered for a patient by a technician, not seen by a physician who was basically out of it. I bet that patient didn't need sedating at all to have a PET scan. You know, so this whole thing um, should never, never have happened and uh, should never happen again because all these things can be fixed. Uh, yeah, and you know, systems failures all the way through, but yeah. you know, what are sort of the traditional ways that healthcare organizations deal with incidents like this, you know, the non-criminalizing way? Well, first of all, the nurse did the right thing. As soon as she heard the code and she realized it was the patient that she had just uh, worked with, uh, she immediately checked the drugs, saw it was the wrong drug, and uh, wrote it up and called the physicians involved in resuscitating the patient to uh, let them know this was the cause, most likely, of what happened. And so she was very transparent about it. Uh, there should have been an investigation by the hospital, both the uh, um, committee that looks at patients getting harmed and uh, mistakes occurring, but also the nursing uh, hierarchy as well should have looked at it and did she do things by the right nursing standard. Um, and uh, if you, you've got to be accountable, all of us have to be accountable. And so this is this fine line between being uh, transparent and speaking up and um, uh, being accountable because you didn't do the right thing. And uh, I think for uh, Redonda's case, this is probably what got her to the criminalization because I'm sure some people must have spoken heavily that she should have stayed and monitored the patient. And yet they probably didn't hear the directive, you don't need to monitor this patient. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to go down to the emergency room and take care of that patient. And, and um, so certainly she needs to be accountable for that because, um, and, and that's, that should have been taken care of at the hospital level, at the nursing level, or even the nursing board level. Um, but to get into a criminal court, uh, I think is a major setback for patient safety because um, first of all, we could have lost Redonda. This thing took four years to get to the sentencing. Mm -hmm. Four years, she had to sit on this uh, distraught, um, no longer a nurse, um, and, and having to deal with it and um, with a chance of going to jail for years. And God bless the judge. She She's handed this verdict, this guilty verdict, and she's now got to sentence uh, the nurse. 
and she could see from that nurse that she never intended to hurt the patient, harm the patient, that she was absolutely apologetic for everything, very remorseful. And um, she gave her three years probation with a quashing of the conviction if she successfully completes the three years of probation, which I'm sure she will. But I'm just so glad that we didn't lose two people over this and that uh, Redonda didn't commit suicide or something like that because she must have been going through terrible anguish for the last four years. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, the decision was made to sort of politicize this, you know, this case. Um, but, you know, how does that, that, I mean, that obviously detracts from sort of the, you know, the systems in place that you mentioned that are in healthcare organizations to investigate and to find out, you know, why these things happen and, you know, sort of prevent them in the future. I mean, what does, you know, what do organizations have to do to kind of uh, prevent a similar thing from happening? You know, obviously there's the, there's the sort of, you know, preventing medical error side of it, but even just on a, on sort of the, the punitive side of things, when, when our errors occur, how can, um, you know, organizations regain the trust of, of their employees who might be concerned now that, you know, if they screw up there and, you know, they might go to jail. I, I think that's, that's a hard one now to get over because um, obviously now a lot of healthcare employees will be concerned and they're going to think twice about speaking up and um, we've really got to encourage them to do that. And so I think this, this comes from the top down in, in the healthcare system. The hospital leaderships, the healthcare leaderships have got to create this culture of safety in their institution. And that comes from the top down. And they've got to really let their staff know that uh, they're gonna have their back if there's a problem, if they have done something that, that they shouldn't have done, they didn't follow the rules, yes, you've got to be accountable. But um, if you followed the rules and the system let you down, as it did in this case multiple times, we will have your back and we will correct the system. Um, we've got to hear from you. And so please report near misses so we can all learn from them. Let's have transparency in our healthcare system. I mean, we right now, to be honest, don't really know the number of preventable deaths that occur in our hospitals. In uh, around 2000, there was a report that came out from the Institute of uh, Medicine that said um, there were probably 98,000 preventable deaths in our hospital. And then um, in 2010, the Inspector General uh, report said of Medicare patients, probably uh, there were 1,880 um, deaths that occurred due to adverse events of which 60% were probably preventable. And then we got the chief of medicine from uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, Mark Mackery, who came out um, about five years ago and having gone through the death certificates of multiple patients and said the number is probably 250,000. Maybe it's the third leading cause of death in our healthcare system. That's unbelievable. Yeah. We've got to do better. I mean, we've got to look at the high-risk industries like airline industry, like uh, nuclear, and where can we standardize things? Where can we put in evidence-based best practices uh, so that these are all carried out? How can we get transparency so we know the numbers? Uh, this would cause people to clam up. They're going to hide some of these deaths if they think they're going to go to jail. We've got to know what's happened. We've got to have mandated reporting um, of uh, preventable harm in our hospitals. 
And CMS and AHRQ have just had the directive from the Inspector General. They've got to start increasing the number of hospital-acquired conditions and reporting in our hospitals. And uh, we've got to have best practices, evidence-based best practices instituted um, in many, many more areas of the hospital so that um, we can see that uh, uh, the best practice was um, done when somebody gets hurt. Because um, if the best practice wasn't done, the evidence-based best practice, then they should limit reimbursement. And Medicare have started doing this a little bit, and they're our biggest payer. And that's certainly getting some hospitals' attention. But we need to know whether they're using the best current best practice and is it reported. Can we see the numbers so that every every patient going into a hospital knows what the uh, preventable harm rate is in that hospital? And you mentioned uh, high reliability and sort of you know, uh, in, you know it's done in aviation and nuclear power. Um, you know, and a lot of work has already been done, kind of you know, to getting towards becoming high reliability organizations. Uh, does this? Uh, I make that even more incumbent on just, you know, everybody doing that. Uh, I know that there's been a push certainly the last probably decade, um, you know, from the Joint Commission and other organizations to, you know, encourage high reliability. Are you seeing that um, kind of making good progress even, you know, in the face of this? Well, you know, we did um, over the last five years, we saw quite uh, a number of uh, improvements in safety and health care. And then COVID hit. We went into the COVID spiral where we had, uh, you know, a third of the hospital turned into an ICU. We had people working in the ICU um, who hadn't worked there in years. We had um, uh, multiple patients on ventilators. Uh, we had high acuity patients with COVID in the hospital. We had uh, a shortage of nurses, short of a staff. Um, and so all these improvements that occurred over the last five years uh, if we look at the last uh, CMS report, uh, they had um, dropped back. The falls rate had increased, hospital-acquired infection rate had increased, um, central line infection rate had increased. Uh, and uh, so we've got set back. We've got to get right back. We've got to be resilient in the hospitals that the improvements we put in place have got to stay. And the way to do that is we've got to know numbers. We've got to have reporting. And then we've got to have aligned incentives. So you get paid for quality care. Uh, and CMS is probably the best organization to really lead this because um, they're the largest payer in the country. And um, that would certainly um, get the attention of hospitals to report numbers and to uh, show they've, they've got the best care. And do you see things, you know, you mentioned that, you know, we kind of fell back in, in sort of a lot of these efforts over the last couple of years. Are you seeing things improving uh as of later, are we still kind of stuck? I mean, obviously, COVID hasn't gone away, and in some areas, it's uh, you know in increasing uh, in the number of cases. Are you seeing things improving now, or is it still going to take some time to kind of get back to where we were? Well, we're getting some good examples in some hospitals where they really have taken this very seriously, and they've got the safety culture in place. There's a children's hospital in Orange County. Uh, where they've had zero preventable deaths now for five years because they've instituted best practices and they've got the board's bonus all related, reimbursements related to uh, uh, stopping preventable harm in the hospital um, and being transparent about it. 
uh, we, we've got several institutions now that can show this. And I think um, the Inspector General's report that came out um, two weeks ago, and was May 13th, uh, has given directives to AHRQ and to CMS um, to oversee, report, make the hospitals report the data, because once you report the data, it makes you know people see it, and you, that make, that causes changes to happen very fast because nobody likes to report poor data. Um, but if we don't see it, if they can conceal it, um, it, it it changes much slower. Airline industry, we know how many planes went down. You know, right. um, we we need to know how many people went into hospital and got an infection they didn't have when they went into hospital. We need to know how many sponges were left behind patient um, in the hospital. Basic things like that, and uh, those numbers are there. Medicare can certainly um, uh, get them, but they can just tell the hospitals, you report them or um, you're not going to get funded. And uh, I think that will help tremendously. Plus, we have more tools out there now, too, which um, can mine electronic records and uh, can show us when uh, something uh, untoward has happened to a patient. Uh, but we need everybody. We need not just the healthcare system. We need the patients to be um, much more concerned going into hospital. Bring an advocate with them so that when you go in stress to a hospital, you've got somebody else there with you who will say, hey, you know, what drug are you giving me? Um, what's it for? Um, and, and COVID stopped and a lot of patients having uh, a partner or a loved one come right. in hospital with them. Uh, that should change. That should never happen again. Um, we need uh, we need companies that make monitors to uh, develop the monitors that we want to keep patients safe. You know, you drive your car now, you can't drive into a brick wall, you can't drive out of lane without a warning, and yet patients are still found dead in bed in our hospitals mm. and probably deteriorated for hours. So we need simple monitoring that will go to your Wi-Fi, to your cell phone, maybe the patient's cell phone too, and let off an alarm so that... Um, uh, you know, when something untoward is developing, uh, we can get an immediate response. There's so many things we could get. If we got everybody working together, we, we could make our hospitals so much safer. Well, and, and your organization has been working to do just that. Uh, you mentioned, you know, sort of the, the goal of uh, zero, you know, preventable uh, medical errors. Um, you know, how I know you've been making a lot of progress, uh, you know, pre-COVID, um, you know, how are, you know, how are the, how is that effort going and, uh, you know, where do you see uh, things going from here? I'm enthused. I think, uh, you know, I've only been on board uh, uh, with this not-for-profit uh, Patient Safety Movement Foundation since January 1 in, in an official capacity. But um, uh, I'm, I'm enthused from the number of um, healthcare systems, number of uh, patients, number of companies, all that, and, and politicians. We've got um, a bipartisan bill going through the House of Representatives right now that hospitals should monitor post-operative patients taking prescribed opioids because there's a mortality associated with this, even on prescribed doses. We all know about um, street drugs and the problem with fentanyl-laced um, uh, cocaine and things like that. This, this is patients in our hospital that are found dead, uh, having taken a prescribed post-operative painkiller. That should be zero, and that can be easily fixed. Monitor them. So um, uh, I, I see uh, this movement really taking off, Jay, and I think um, we're going to see some really marked improvements now because we've got 
everybody involved from politicians to patients to healthcare systems all signing on to get involved and let's treat this problem so maybe one of the only good things to come out of this court case is it's highlighted highlighted a big problem and once you get it out there we can all do something about it absolutely um, well dr ramsey i want to thank you so much for joining me today this has been great thank you jay thank you so much that wraps up episode 55 of psqh the podcast thanks for listening and i hope you join me next time you can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com you can subscribe to the show on soundcloud apple Podcasts, google play or spotify Thanks again and stay safe.